I heard this uh, story about this young guy who was getting ready to get his license, and his dad said, um, well, once you get your license, you can drive my car under three conditions. He said, um, first condition is your attendance at school's got to get better. And the kid says, well, that's good. And he said, um, and your grades have to get better. And he said, well, I, yeah, I think I can do that. And he said, and you need a haircut. And the kid looked at him and said, okay, you know, that'll work out. So anyway, about a month goes by, and the dad calls his son in. The son's now got his license. He says, okay. He says, how are you doing? He says, well, dad, my attendance is much better. Um, and dad says, that's great. He says, that's wonderful. He says, my grades are getting better. And he said, well, that's good. That's two out of three. He says, uh, but I noticed you haven't gotten your hair cut. And he says, yeah, I was thinking about that haircut thing. He says, you know, uh, Moses, he had long hair. And Jesus had long hair. And the dad looked at him and he said, yeah, and they walked everywhere. They went. (laughs) So what does that have to do with what I'm about to say? I don't think anything, but it just seemed like a good place to start. I'm pretty excited this morning because I'm actually talking about something that I don't think I've ever preached about on a Sunday morning. Um, And I I feel pretty convicted about it, but I've worked through that. So now I feel pretty good about it. uh, we're going to talk about the ascension today for a few minutes. Anyway, if you have your Bible, if you could open up to Acts chapter 1. Some of you are saying, what the heck is the ascension? Hopefully by the time we're done this morning, you'll uh, have a better grip on what that is. The ascension is essentially this moment that happens where Jesus ascends, the scripture says, uh, to heaven uh, after the resurrection. So we're going to read about that. But anyway, Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bible, um, you can open it up. Some of you like to check out your Bible on your phone. Be, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, if you have to make a couple calls, uh, please step out to do that. <laughs> anyway, Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. This is, Acts is written by a guy named Luke, same guy, a doctor that wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. So he kind of continues his conversation uh, that he started in the book of Luke. He says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught. He's talking about the book of Luke, essentially, from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom whom he had chosen After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel, to Israel? Now, uh, at this point, so this is, the church celebrates the ascension 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days after is when we celebrate it. So Pentecost being where the infilling of the spirit uh, happens in the upper room, and we'll get to that um, here not today, but soon. Um, anyway, so you've got for 40 days, Jesus is now resurrected, and for 40 days he's appearing at different 
places and times, and they're still not getting certain things. So their question is really, and what they're still looking for, is Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire, at least some of them, uh, that Jesus is going to take on this earthly kingdom. And Jesus responds to that here in verse 7. He says, and he replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Everyone say authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven. So imagine this. So they're, they're, waiting, they're having this conversation with Jesus. All of a sudden, he ascends to heaven. Scripture says they're just gazing up toward heaven because now uh, they had this moment when he gets crucified where they're like, now what, right? And then he resurrects from the dead. So they're like filled with hope and encouragement and excitement. He's there for 40 days. They're finding him showing up at different places, saying different things for 40 days. And they're excited again. They've got this anticipation again. Some of them are once again thinking that he's going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome and take over the world, essentially. And all of a sudden, he disappears into the clouds. And the scripture here, it says that they were gazing up. In other words, they were staring blankly, as more literally, like in almost disbelief of now what again, right? And then the scripture goes on and it says, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's interesting. We have three really big events in the Christian uh, life that we celebrate. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? That's Christmas. We celebrate the death of Jesus uh, because it is so meaningful in the whole story, and that's Good Friday. We have a celebration around that, or at least paying close attention to that. And then, of course, we have the resurrection, which is like excuse me, the highlight of our lives, the resurrection is Easter. But when it comes to the ascension, there's really not much attention that's ever given to it. And even as I said, you know, this is the first time I think I've actually spoken about this on a Sunday morning. And the truth about it is the ascension is huge. I was at uh, a card shop the other day. We had yesterday a celebration for our youngest son who just turned 29. He actually turned 29 back April 14th. And had his birthday party, birthday celebration yesterday. And when I was looking for his birthday card, I thought, you know, I could check out and see if there's any Ascension cards. And I couldn't find an Ascension card uh, at Meyer Thrifty Acre. They didn't have one. I did actually find one online. Uh, Here it is. And uh, it and this is one you could order online. I think it's $1.79 if you want. You see Jesus ascending into heaven. But it's not a real popular card, right? Because we don't really celebrate that. Have any of you raise your hand if you purchase an Ascension card? I mean, I think it's a beautiful card. But uh, And then on the inside, instead of, you know how it'll say blank? It just says blankly staring. That's what it says on the No, that's, it just it says blank. I thought it could say, you know... Uh, uh, Things are looking up or something like that would be a good interior for the card, but no, uh, inside's just blank because we don't really celebrate it. But the truth about the ascension 
is there's huge meaning in our lives as Christ followers when it comes to the ascension. What does it mean for our new life? That's what I want to look at for a couple of minutes here. The truth about the ascension is it's the ascension. Okay, so Jesus resurrects from the dead, but he's still on the earth. He's still meeting for 40 days and different and nights, different spots and places, encouraging uh, the, the followers of his for what's to come. And they're still wrestling with stuff. They're still having difficulty. But the resurrection without an ascension, there's some huge missing pieces. The ascension releases incredible power and authority. What it releases is the authority of Christ is released into our lives, into the church, because of the ascension. Without the ascension, the authority remains in Christ. I'll get into this in a minute. But it's where he begins to share his authority with his body. It's where he introduces this new kingdom of God reality is by leaving this reality that we know. The ascension is not about, like those folks from Galilee felt, it's not about the absence or loss of the leadership of Christ, but actually it's about the infilling and magnification of Christ and his presence in our lives. Jesus no longer is something that is just a separate being from us, but suddenly there is a way that the kingdom of God becomes a part of our life. It's it's because of the ascension that there are two results that are really important to pay attention to, I believe, that I want to talk to you about. The first result is the result of multiplication. See, when we read this scripture and we t- it talks about Jesus ascending into heaven, it's easy to start to think, what is this about? Like, Is this like a Star Wars kind of verse of scripture that I can't fully wrap my arms around? Is this something about space travel? Is this, you know, like Jesus is just translated? And we miss the deep meaning of it, I think, easily. What it really is about is Jesus' new position and relationship toward all of us and his kingdom. When you think about a king ascending, like, or a queen ascending, they literally, it's not so much about their changing of geography. Before they ascend to their throne, there is a certain authority that they haven't fully begin to receive and then release, right? It's in the ascending that immediately when the ascension happens, something shifts. Their influence and their ability to delegate things out transfers. And that's what Jesus is doing here when he ascends. It's less about geography, in other words. It's less about this he goes up into heaven. What it is is he leaves the reality that we live in and he begins to release position, influence, and authority. In other words, he multiplies who he is into his people because of an ascension. Then the infilling of the Holy Spirit comes shortly after this because it's by that that influence, the influence of God's spirit that we begin to move out in power. See, the ascension takes Jesus out of the confines and limitations of our world. Otherwise, he stays in this reality and he moves into the realm at this place, at this moment of the omnipotent one, of the omnipresent one, of the omniscient one. In other words, he moves from 
from being powerful to being all-powerful in your life and mine, to being, to being limited in presence to a human body, to all of the sudden being all ever-present in our lives for everyone's life. And he begins to multiply his presence out through your life and mine. He moves into omniscience, into this all-knowing through your life and mine. He becomes clearly limitless. He intentionally was limited while he was on the earth, but as soon as he ascends, the limitlessness of Christ is released, not just in your life and mine, but throughout the world. It's in that that we begin to realize that when the scripture says, because he begins to multiply through the ascension, his presence in your life and mine, and in millions and millions of believers that live on the earth today and have lived throughout history, and that we can begin to live into this reality of if there's one of us that can put a 1,000 to flight and two of us can put 10,000 to flight, three of us certainly can make a legion flee. It be, you begin to get your arms around scriptures like John 20, 17. You ever have those scriptures you read and you think, it doesn't. It doesn't, I don't really fully know, or maybe I'm not sure I know what it means. John 20, 17, it says, Jesus, this is shortly after the resurrection, before the ascension, says to Mary, he says, do not hold on to me, for I have not returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, when you read that scripture, some of us have read that scripture Maybe all of us have read that scripture and thought there's some mystical thing going on here. There's something where Jesus can't be touched, but that can't be what's being said here. So when he says to her, don't hold on to me, he obviously until Jesus ascends to heaven, he cannot be touched by anyone. But that can't be what it means because in Luke chapter 24, he's touched by people. Thomas is, is invited to touch his wounds after the resurrection. There are people that, that uh, the disciples, it says that they clasp his feet. In Matthew 28, it talks about Jesus being touched by believers. So it's not about whether he can be touched. It's not about some mystical thing. What Jesus is saying to all of us in this moment is, you need to release me. You need to let go of that thing you're holding on to in, uh, in order for my power and my goodness and my authority and all the resources I bring to your life to multiply. Let go so that my life and my work can multiply and increase through you and through others. Isn't that so amazing? I, uh, I had uh, years ago, before I uh, became a pastor, uh, Claire and I used to say that we had different jobs that they, they served to pay our missionary salary because we believed we were called uh, into ministry full-time, um, which really means all of us. But uh, anyway, but th in this role, this kind of role. So I was, I was apprenticing as an electrician, and um, the guy that was my mentor, my, my, uh, the guy that was training me, his name was Gaston, wonderful guy. i just so grateful for this guy's life and all that he taught me. But I'll never forget one day I had this experience in my apprenticeship where uh, we did a lot of residential work. 
And one of the main things that we did were service changes, which just is simply you go in, take the old panel out in the Detroit area to have these really outdated panels, and you put in maybe circuit breakers and, you know, maybe go from a 60-amp service to 100 amp. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But at, at one point back in that day, and they, I'm sure they probably do it in a much safer fashion now, um, but... Uh, the, the overhead line, as it attached to the house, you could wait for Detroit Edison to come and hook that up. But of course, you never want to do that because that always costs you money to wait for them. So we just would go ahead and hook that up. So there's really no safety. If you got caught on one of those wires, you were going to probably die, you know, essentially, uh, unless you had a good friend near you that had a two-by-four that could whack you off of the wire. So anyway, I'm an apprentice, and I had been with him, you know, doing about, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen of these. And finally one day, it was a nice day outside. And, you know, I was about, I don't know, 20, 19, 20 years old. And he said, um, he said, okay, Scott, um, now uh, I got to go run an errand. And I'm up there and it's time for the, the wires to be hooked up. Can't shut them off. The split bolts have to be put on. You got to tape them a certain way, all this stuff. And he says, I got to run some errands. I'm thinking, run some errands? You know, who's going to do this? And he says, you finish this up, and I'll be back in a while. And he goes off of the roof. So there I was, like, really? And I started thinking about my options. Well, I could just sit here, wait till he gets back. That's probably not going to work well. If I want to keep getting paid and have a job, I probably need to do this. Now, I had seen it. I had experienced it. He let me tape the split bolts at times, but I had never fully done it on my own. So as, as surely as I could, I started this slow, methodical process, and I was sweating up a storm. And probably something that should have taken me maybe a half an hour, I'm sure took me probably a couple of hours because I was afraid and I was nervous. And finally, when I finally just was finishing up taping up the last split bolt, here came Gaston up the ladder, finished with his errands. He got on the roof and he said, you did a great job. And I said, well, how do you know that? He says, because I have been standing around the corner of the building watching you the whole time hoping I wouldn't need a two-by-four to knock you off the wire. <laughs> when Jesus ascends, he goes around the corner. He watches what he has trained and imparted and given. He watches you move into this profound privilege of carrying and multiplying the presence of God in your life and mine. Let me ask you a question. How might you pray differently if you really thought that Jesus were praying through you? Check out this scripture in John 14, starting with verse 12. Jesus, I will tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these 
because I am going to the Father. I will do, and, you, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm ascending, and if you allow me to pray through you, it's those prayers that get answered. Isn't that powerful stuff? That Jesus literally is saying, he's present with you, And he's working through you. And he's present with me. And he's working through me. The key is that I allow the ascended Christ to live through me. In other words, what he's saying to Mary here is, Mary, when he says, don't touch me, you need to let me go. Mary, if you'll let me ascend, then you will realize that I'm with you always. Mary, if you let me ascend then you will realize that no one can ever take you from me or take me from you. Mary, if you'll let me ascend, you'll realize that I will never leave you. Mary, if you let me ascend, you'll realize I would never forsake you, but I have to ascend. All that Jesus is, in other words, begins to be released through his people, his imperfect people, which leads to the second result of the ascension or connects with it, and that's the, the result of authority, that God desires to continuously and does continuously release his authority on the earth and magnifies his authority on the earth. It's not only multiplied, his authority is released and magnified through his people the church. See, the authoritative, when Jesus says here earlier, he says, you'll do even greater things. What he's saying is the authority, remember when you read through the scripture and it says, he came and taught as one with authority. What he's saying here is the authority will be even greater through my body. I will, I will display and pour out my authority, my prophetic ministry, my teaching ability. The Pentecostals would say the anointing will be released The authority of God will be released through the church. You will receive power, verse 8 says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. See, the ascension triggers or it releases authority in your life and in my life. It's literally a release that happens and has happened. Luke 7, 28 says this. It says, I tell you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Didn't you just read that and you think, I've read that before, honestly. I've read that before and I thought, well, you know, really? I mean, this is a dude that's out in the desert eating locusts. I don't know. You know, he's got like huge following. He ends up being martyred for his faith. He's obviously an incredible powerhouse. God says there's nobody greater than him. But then it seems like, 
how do I take this scripture? Yet if the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, then I think, well, maybe he's talking about, you know, least, maybe smallest, maybe it's the littlest, because he said some really awesome things about little kids. So maybe it's some little kid is greater than John the Baptist. Maybe it is. Did you ever wonder, but that's not what he's talking about either. Did you ever wonder who the least Christian in this room is? Do you ever think about it? Look around for a minute and think, just answer that for yourself. Like, let's take a vote. Let's, anybody want to volunteer least Christian in the room? There has to be a least Christian somewhere, right? I mean, it only makes sense. So what, that's literally what this means. The least is going to be greater than John the Baptist. And you know Why? Because John the Baptist isn't living on the other side of the ascension. John the Baptist has not had the presence of God released in his life like we enjoy on this moment. So the worst of us, the least of us. If you were ready to raise your hand and say, let's not even vote, it's me. What this scripture is saying is you are greater than John the Baptist. You know why? Not because you're so wonderful, but because the authority of Christ moves through you and in you. Yeah. I know, I, I sense that. I sense that. <laughs> so, so imagine... When, when Jesus says this, imagine, and this is the reality of the church, a greater prophetic teaching, anointing than John the Baptist. Access, we have access to more than these heroes of faith had access to. This should, first of all, bring deep humility to all of us and a desire for deep integrity this should be the thing that should make it so distasteful for any of us, for instance, to be at work or in our classroom and somebody to be able to say about us, well, yeah, they say they're a Christian, but they're no different than we are. There should be a deep desire because of the preciousness and the, the wonder of what is what is. Ah, been invested in each one of us, it should come with deep humility and integrity. I should want, you should want to live a life of holiness because when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, he's not really talking about, I'm going to display your wonderfulness. What he's saying is, I am going to take you as a vessel, and I do think you're wonderful, but my authority is going to flow through you. It should also cause us to, it should raise us up. It should bring a confidence to us that we do carry authority, the authority of Christ when we give our life to Christ. It's this, you know, we can figure it out at times. Like uh, Claire and I have shared this story before about being um, at a crusade with Billy Graham um, and, and Sean and I, my brother, we were down on the stadium uh, field with him, and he, they brought him up in a golf cart, and we were there as guests of some other people. Um, and anyway, we were standing right there. Billy Graham, late in his life, could, his Parkinson's had really uh, 
been doing a work in a, in a negative way on his physical body. It was like they could hardly get him out of the golf cart and up onto the platform. And as soon as he began to speak, the authority of God began to flow. It was as if there was nothing wrong with him physically. So we've seen that. But can you believe that that's how God desires to work in your life? Maybe not to preach before tens of thousands of people. But you carry Christ's presence. We are the representatives of Christ. And then right away when we think about that, you and I, I think one of the things that happens to us because how many of us in the last week you've heard a story about some Christian somewhere, some Christ follower that did something really stupid and you think, I don't want to identify with that. As a matter of fact, I want to resign from the church. Other Christians, if it weren't for other Christians, I would like being a Christian. Maybe even today, while you walked in here, maybe you had some interaction with somebody and you're like, I don't know, if that person's a Christian, I don't want to be that. You've been let down by Christians. I've been let down by Christians. But listen, no one has been let down more by Christians. No one has been falsely and unjustly represented by Christians more than Jesus. And it's Jesus who says, those are the people that will be my witnesses. He says it after betrayal, he says it after abandonment, he says it after death and resurrection, and for 40 days he's trying to convince them of what they should be living into and working in and and living and understanding, and they're still not getting it, and you'd think that at the end of 40 days, instead of ascending, Jesus would just say, hey, I'm going to stick around and just make sure this gets done by me, because I can't trust you, but that is not what he does. That is not what he does. I love this quote by Rich Mullins. He says, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go to church. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself and to your family, to the people you pass and the people that greet you there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need some help. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 4 6 and 7, for God who said, let your light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay or earthen vessels, some versions say, to show that the all-surpassing power, the authority that, that is contained within us is from God and not from us. It is just the truth. The church is the cave of a dual that are measuring up to a perfect life, where those that are desiring to be holy still fail to be totally holy and right before God, but they have a God who lives in them and through them, and we have this treasure in jars of clay, your life and mine. How in the world should we live knowing that we carry about the treasure of Christ in our life? How in the world should we be living knowing that God is breathing his authority and power and goodness through our lives 
to a world that is so desperate for all that God has for us. Could you stand with me? So we want to leave you with this question. What will the ascension mean for your new life this week? And our ushers are going to come up and they're going to pass out these little sheets to you. Um, but I just want you to stand for a minute and, and think about if, if this relationship with God has changed because Jesus ascended to the throne and gave his authority here, how would your life look different this week if the ascension was living through you? And, and something might just happen, like if we actually got a grip on this, the creed of our lives might change. Like we might say, I've been given authority to do X. See, John the Baptist had a particular authority as a locust-eating, camel-coat-hair-wearing preacher of repentance, right? That is not your job. There's another job that you have. I want you to see your friends in just this little two-minute film, and I want you to see how the creed of their lives has changed because of the ascension. And then let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. You have been made in a particular way on purpose. And the ascension of Jesus means you have a particular creed to carry out into the world. Listen to what your friends have been receiving. And by the way, it will grow. Newness brings wholeness, new life, new desires. Living in such a new way that I forget who I was and remember who I am made to be, who I really am in Christ. I will follow Jesus and be his example to those around me. Back there, I'll make a fresh effort to walk closer towards him every day as I live to serve, comfort, and challenge those around me with love. Here, let's stop. God, my solid stop. has made me to great, pause. able to handle. All right, I want you to, do you have it? Or should we just say, we'll let it go? Oh, it was? Thank you, Jeremy. See, somebody help me out. Help a sister out. Okay, let's start again. Ready, go. new life, new desires, living in such a new way that I forget who I was and remember who I am made to be, who I really am in Christ. I will follow Jesus and be his example to those around me. I'll make a fresh effort to walk closer towards him every day as I live to serve, comfort, and challenge those around me with love. God, my solid rock, has made me to be great, able to handle any difficulty that comes. His love for me keeps me moving forward in what he has established as my purpose-driven life. His blood was shed for me, my sins forgiven, and healing for my soul. Amen. I am here to experience life and spread the gift of joy to everyone around me so that I may make the world a happier, more positive place. I believe God's love is good and can be trusted. I believe that I have been created in the image of God to encourage and to help others bring reconciliation to the earth. I desire to work with others to bring transformation to this world in unconventional ways. I am a child of God, made with unique gifts. I am what he says that I am. No one can change God's path for me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I would that you prosper and be in health. I know the plans God has for me to live in the purpose 
that God called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the community, the love of God and the love of God that he has for us. All right. I believe God is true, that I was created for worship. I believe I am here to be the empathetic truth teller that will help his people see the possibilities and stand firm on what is promised. Amen. Amen. And so you have been given this little creed and, and some just maybe even some inspirations to say, what would the ascension look like if it was lived through me on Monday at work, on Tuesday in that class, on Wednesday when I have to meet up with that particular person, right? How would the ascension, I love what you said, Scott, that what would your prayer sound like if Jesus was praying through you, right? And I love, my mom always used to say, your children do not come from you, they come through you. And so when we realize we're not showing up in our own name, but Christ is coming through us, we might hear some things that are different. So this is a little assignment. You're not going to get checked next week, but we want you to take it home and bring it back next week because we're going to begin looking at a new creed. If we have a new relationship with an ascended Christ on the throne and the same power that right rose Christ from the grave and ascended him to heaven lives in us, what might life look like for us? And so, Father, I pray that even this week that you would bless each and every one as they consider what would the creed sound like that if you say you're given authority to each of us, what would that authority look like through these individual lives when we consider this? The same power that rose from the grave lives in me, lives in me. So just think about that with what's happening on Monday. Your love that rescued the earth lives in me. Lives in me. If you pray in Jesus' name, what might the prayer sound like? Jesus' name. Have a great week, you guys.